This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. The first episode of 2024. Hard to believe. Um, but we are into a new year with plenty to talk about, about the 2023 Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, with me, as always, is Kip Adams and Benjamin Wolk as we get ready to discuss, again, Georgia's big win Saturday over Florida State in the Orange Bowl. Talk a little bit about some of the draft decisions. One, uh, some of them that we already know, but two that we are still waiting on. Uh, some more transfer portal news. And looking ahead to some big all-star games featuring several Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, I'll start with you, Kip. Uh, how was your new year and uh, how... Uh, How's everything going as we turn our attention to 2024? Yeah, I, I think that was one of the best days of football I've ever experienced. A great way to start out 2024. Um, two outstanding games. And again, it's you, you wanted to soak in every minute and kind of slow it down. Um, both games, you know, you, you really didn't want them to end, even though I will say uh, that that second game, you know, Washington, Texas, it was a, uh, even for me, uh, I felt myself just running low on fuel. I can't imagine um, how everyone else felt. It's uh, I think the the schedulers of this game kind of forgot that these were not New Year's Eve games, and they scheduled them like they were because I, you know, we were Jordan, you and I were covering when the uh, the clock struck midnight against uh, you know Georgia and Ohio State. I think that was a very different experience for fans and probably people watching because. They were already planning on being there for that for that countdown to the clock. Uh, yesterday was was very different, um, but overall, though, the quality of football was outstanding. If, if that's a sign of what we have in store for the rest of this year, sign me up. Uh, I'm here for it, and I just think it was a great way, a great day for the sport, and, and a great day just for us in general, just starting this year. Yeah, it was pretty tough for me. You know, I, I barely made it through New Year's Eve uh, because I got up early and flew out of Miami to come back home. So, like, I was just – I probably by, like, 12.10, I was like, all right, I'm going to bed. This is a lot. And then to do it the next day, um, I definitely fell asleep during the third quarter, but woke up and uh, watched the end of the Sugar Bowl. Uh, as Kip mentioned, those two games were really good. Uh, Michigan beat Alabama in overtime 27-20 in the Rose Bowl. And then Washington holds on and did everything it could to blow it late. Uh, but they hold on and beat Texas 37-31 in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, ben, how was your New Year's Day? What would you think of these games? And uh, now the matchup uh, in the national title we'll see next Monday. Yeah, I mean, if you uh, if I had a normal job, right, I'd probably be pretty pissed off that they had these games going until late. But since I just, you know, work covering college football, it was nice. I'm so, so assuming some of the people listening to this were, like, up until 1 o'clock, and then they were up and at them early for their first day of work in, like, 15 days. Um, so 
apologies to everyone for the scheduling. And I also found it weird, not to sidetrack too much, but I found it weird that they did the Rose Bowl, started at 2 o'clock, like, local time for the Rose Bowl, and then the Sugar Bowl was starting at, like, 7.45 local time for the Sugar Bowl. It feels like they maybe got the time zones reversed there. But to Kip's point, awesome football. I really enjoyed it. I think if you're a a Georgia person that was maybe disappointed about the fact that you weren't there – you maybe were feeling some type of way while you were watching some of those games, but the cow, the quality of football, you know, I made the joke earlier, the TV package that the college football playoff committee put together was a very nice one last night, two really good football games and really just really entertaining. It was a good way to start off 2024. Yeah. To your point about the time zones, if I'm not mistaken, I think the Rose bowl was so early because they love that shot of the sunset, you know, in like the third or fourth quarter and, I mean, that's basically it. I mean, it's just that game, you know, kind of has the pull that they can set it up the way they want. Um, incredible games. Really enjoyed watching both of them. My fiance is a Michigan grad, so she was a nervous ball of energy for like 60 minutes plus. So that was a fun experience to see someone else go through a game. And, you you know, I honestly have really no stake in it. So that was fun to watch. And um, credit J.J. McCarthy. I thought the play of that game was – when they threw to him to the left on the trick play and he had to jump up and catch it and then he fired it downfield. I mean, that was unreal. And I, I think I I really wish I would go back and watch all of Michael Penix's plays this year and, you know, saw him from time to time in the season. But, I mean, it looked like a Madden game. I mean, his throws were just on the money. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen anyone with a deep ball quite like he has. I think it's going to be a very fun game next week. I- I saw someone describe Michael Penix's game, and I wish I knew who it was so that I could properly give them credit. But they basically said playing playing against Michael Penix is like going to the gym and playing pickup basketball against the old guy that just hits every three. He's perfect. And then every now and again, he just busts by you to lay it in at the rim just to remind you, like, I can do that to you, too, if I want to. And, you know, it's he was really fun to watch. And I wasn't ex- that was the game. I was not expecting that game to go the way that it did last night. That one surprised me. And, you know, credit to Michael Penix, who probably in retrospect, maybe had some Heisman uh, chip on his shoulder as well. Sacred Grove on YouTube said glued to the TV all day. And that's how we were. And you talked about the old man playing pickup. Uh, I do think Michael Penix, this is like his sixth year. So I do think that kind of qualifies. Well, and just, I mean, not to take take that too seriously, but, like, we're getting to a time where, like, if you don't have a super old quarterback, you're probably not going to win the national championship. I mean, you look, Mac Jones, I think, in the last four years is the only quarterback that wasn't at least 22 years old to win the national championship, and I think he turned 22 years old a couple weeks later. So we're sort of at the point in time where if, you have, if you're not an aging quarterback, you probably aren't, you know, I guess J.J. McCarthy could probably change that next week. Well, guys, let's turn the focus back to Georgia. There's actually quite a bit that we can talk about. We want to start with that Orange Bowl, the blowout victory, 60-point victory. Uh, Georgia followed that 65-7 to win over TCU last year, which set the bowl record for margin of victory. And then they blew it out of the water by beating Florida State. Uh, Kip, you did the podcast shortly after the game, sort of giving your thoughts and, and what you thought about this game. And I'll start with you few days removed from that blowout victory. What sort of sticks with you still? Is there anything that um, you kind of keep going back to when it comes to how Georgia won that game? It was overall, I think you do have to give Georgia credit. Um, we talk, I talked about that. We, you know, that was kind of the question going into this game. Um, you know, if, if Kirby Smart has really established that culture of motivating his players to play and, and, you know, what is a storied game, but for this year was not a college football playoff game after having a roster largely built of players who have, you know, two national championship rings. You know, that was going to say a lot about the culture in Athens. And as, as far as that, and, and then how he got them coming off of a loss to play, you know, up to their standard, uh, I think all the credit in the world goes to Kirby Smart and that coaching staff. And they played the type of game you would expect Georgia to play. Um, overall though, I just felt like it was just an unfortunate experience and you can kind of tell from Kirby Smart after the game, you know, basically saying this needs to be fixed. Um, but the performance of the players, uh, you know, from top to bottom, um, it was, I mean, it was a, it was a momentum building game for Georgia and, you know, a good, a good platform and stage for them to, you know, showcase to the country that, 
you know, this this is the standard that Georgia plays to no matter what the situation. And that's how Kirby Smart's going to have his team prepared uh, on a you know week-to-week basis, regardless of the opponent. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was unfortunate because they were playing an undefeated team that a third of his roster, most of its starters were not in the game. And you could tell that they were not motivated uh, to, you know, try and play against Georgia. Now, you know, after the fact, obviously you're now having Florida State fans and writers out there campaigning for Florida State deserving to be in the playoff. Um, you could do the same for Georgia. No matter who, what happened in the games yesterday, this was going to happen. You're going to say this should have been us. It would have been different. We've been there. You can't really do that. So overall, uh, you know, it was it was good for Georgia. I don't think it was good for college football, but at the same time, won't this be fixed? Ne- you know, next season, I think most of this will be fixed overall. But at the end of the day, you're going to have bowl games. Uh, you know, outside of the expanded college football playoffs, now you have to ask: sh- Should this all stay the same? You know, uh, I know you're getting TV ratings, but players if players aren't wanting to play in the non-playoff games at this point because of the transfer portal just because of the the timeline uh you know should something be changed and i think that discussion's worth having coming off of just seeing how georgia and florida state went out there and had two very different performances and very different motivation levels ben what about you uh, what sort of sticks with you from how that game played out even anything you heard after the game as uh, kip hit on with what kirby had to say and um, what sort of sticks with you from this orange bowl well to kip's point it probably is it, georgia fans probably don't aren't, aren't too worked up over what happened in that game because they got to watch their favorite team win by 60 points i think when you look at it with a broader lens it probably is not a great indicator and the fact that kirby smart after winning a game by 60 points goes to the podium and really i don't know jordan if he was directly asked that question or if he sort of sidestepped to try and make that statement because he went to the podium wanting to make it that you know, and I made the joke, Kirby Smart's trying to fix college football one sixty point win at a time. But the reality is that the, it's a broken world that college football lives in this time of year right now. And everybody acknowledges that everybody in the sport acknowledges it. And Georgia winning by 60 is just a kernel of evidence of that. That said, I think few things can be true. I think that that can be true. And also Georgia was able to put on display just the caliber of football program that they are. I don't think it's a surprise to any of us. I mean, we've watched Georgia lose two games over the last three years. And every time that they've lost now, we've seen them bounce back with a completely dominant performance against a good caliber football program. I also think... We, I've talked about this a lot throughout the year that it feels like Georgia has this weird bug where they like to lose the turnover battle over the last three years, and I can't identify what that is. What we saw in the Orange Bowl is what happens when Georgia doesn't lose the turnover battle, when they win the turnover battle by four. Not only do you not have a shred of chance to compete with Georgia, there's a really good opportunity for them to just run you out of the building. And so I think we saw that. Some of that was a byproduct of the caliber of football program Georgia is. Some of that was a byproduct of a completely defeated team in Florida State. I think it was obvious that their spirit was broken. I think they came out with a little bit of energy there in the first couple of possessions, wanting to believe that it was going to go differently than it was going to. But I think once they – all it took was Kendall Milton running through a couple people's faces a couple times, and I think they decided, you know what, our spirit has officially been broken. Yeah, you know, there were a few really good throws from Brock Glenn in that game. I think about that 55-yard throw that wound up ending up in just a field goal. But, like, they had their moments. But then it was like, once the dam broke, it was like, yeah, we're done here. Um, The thoughts for me uh, for, you know, when I go back to that game, looking to 2024, I think that, you know, Georgia's going to lose a lot off of this team, and we're going to get into that in a few minutes with some of the guys who have already declared but I think there was some reason for excitement. Obviously, Carson Beck's back. He had a really good game. Dylan Bell had some of the best contested catches I've seen in a while. I am officially on the Dylan Bell train going in 2024. I think he can be uh, one of their leading receivers, if not their leading receiver. Um, look on defense. Dalen Everett had a really nice interception, You know, bringing guys back like Malachi Starks and having a whole second half where you're basically just – working guys in. I mean, Gunnar Stockton, Lawson Lucky gets his first touchdown. Anthony Evans gets his first touchdown. 
you know, obviously this was a chance to cap off 2023 on a high note. But if I'm a Georgia fan, one, you're excited to see them win a game like they did, 60 points. But two, it's you're seeing a lot of guys where you go, all right, that was a nice way to end the 2023 season. Maybe they can kind of carry that over, get a little momentum going into next year. It was great seeing like Michael Williams, uh, I guess, kind of fill into the role that we kind of thought, he, you know, it had the impact we thought he would have this season. Maybe a glimpse if you're starting to look towards next year. Um, just seeing him and C.J. Allen and, and obviously Jalen Walker out there. Um, that's kind of that 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 havoc crew that that you want to have out there. Um, and I, I think that kind of showcased also just, you know, what what could be and what could have been with with uh, Michael Williams. Um, I, I think that's a, another reason for, you know, for hope, because that was kind of that one aspect of Georgia's defense that, you know, they never really unlocked this year was, you know, just getting getting home. They affected quarterbacks, but not consistently enough. And honestly, you, you watch those college football playoff semifinal games yesterday, and that, that's where you're kind of like, I think Georgia's uh, defensive front, uh, you know, if they're using Michael Williams that way and they're bringing back some of the guys that we're, we're about to talk about, I, I think that's, that's the kind of group that when they get into that situation uh, can really take over, a, you know, a, a playoff game. So uh, that's another reason for Georgia fans to really be excited. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on something we were actually texting about during the game, during that Rose Bowl, uh, that, you know, Michigan had more sacks in that first half than against Alabama than I'm pretty sure Georgia had that whole game. And to me, that was such a big deal in that game. Guys, before we take a break, I want to get your thoughts. We talked about Kirby Smart saying this needs to be fixed. Do either of you guys have an idea or have seen a theory out there of what could be done that you really like? And I'll start just to to keep from putting in either of you guys on the spot. You know, I, I want to say it was split zone duo with uh, Richard Johnson, and Alex Kirshner. They were talking about this. And one of them suggested, you know, having incentives, whether it be NIL or through the bowls directly for players to make money playing and participating in the bowl. I think that would make a lot of sense. I was asked about this on a radio hit earlier on Tuesday about, you know, should players be punished if they don't play in the bowl? And I don't think that would be effective. I think, you know, giving incentive to be in that bowl game uh, would go a long way. We know these bowls make a lot of money. We know that, you know, they spend money in other ways with, you know, the the all the gifts that players get for playing in, in the game, maybe make that a financial piece rather than, you know, Xboxes or gift cards, whatever uh, it may be. I'll start with you, Kip. Does anything really stick out to you when we say, hey, we need to fix this. We need to get guys uh, to not out, opt out of these bowl games. Um, does anything stick out to you that you think would work? Well, I'm completely fine with adding incentives into NIL deals uh, for the players or you know, just adding that in, built into the bowl games. I don't think you should you know, take away from something that they've always had the chance to have in previous years. I think – we have to just figure out the the calendar and players are opting out because they're having to make the best decisions for themselves to, to give themselves a chance to, to play more football, whether that's the NFL or whether that's another college. So when you make the transfer portal window right in the middle of bowl practice, um, I mean, yeah, these guys have to figure out whether there's another opportunity out there for them. And, and so, I, I think that's kind of the main thing, uh, you know, Georgia, even Georgia. I mean, uh, we talked about Florida State. They obviously didn't have a lot of players in this game. I mean, Georgia didn't have what it was. It was 20 players that, you know, hit the transfer portal for Georgia. So I, I think overall, if you want to see the rosters, you know, the way that they were during the season, and then you just have to find a way to, to make the calendar different. And I think just having it, you know, in January, uh, finding that window, find a two weekend window before classes start would at least alleviate some of this. So at least you're getting guys into bowl practice maybe, or, or you know, or giving them an opportunity to, to you know, get a week or two or, or see if they're going to have a role in the bowl game. Um, I don't think they're going to be able to move bowl games to the spring. I just don't think that's feasible. I don't think anyone would agree to that. Um, and I don't, again, I don't think, 
you, you're not going to get into actually pay, like paying players because it's just no nobody in college football actually wants to touch that right now. Uh, they're going to you know push that into some somebody else's uh, wheelhouse to make those kinds of decisions. So we're far off from figuring out what's going to happen overall with players with that. The way things are right now, I think the easy fix. It's always been calendar fixes. That's all the NCAA has ever really done is juggle things around with the calendar. And so I just think, you know, it might make for a very hectic two weeks. But you know what? We, we just dealt with the same hectic couple weeks leading up to you know, the early signing period because you had the transfer portal and high school players taking official visits at the same time. So I'd rather have, you know, the same kind of chaos after signing day and after bowl games are played. So sign me up for that. Ben, how about you? Does something sort of stick out to you as a uh, potential fix here? Well, I, I don't know the answer to the fix. I, I completely think it's a calendar fix. I think the calendar is a complete disaster right now. And people that maybe don't get into the nitty gritty of it maybe say, why do they keep bringing up the calendar? Why do they keep bringing up the calendar? It's like everything that happens at the end of December is outrageous. And it completely, especially when you devalue some of the other bowl games which was going to happen naturally with the playoff systems as they grew it just completely takes away i mean kirby mentioned it about kamari lassiter he said you know he was giving credit to kamari lassiter about the fact that he played in the bowl game but he even acknowledged i don't know how much you really have to gain to play in this game and obviously he was on a very limited snap count throughout that game which might have been scoreboard related but might have just happened naturally anyway um so I would love to get Kirby Smart's unfiltered thoughts on when he brings up that the fixing it. How do you fix it? What do you think the right picture for it is? I mean, I've joked about this. I think that Nick Saban has seen enough that he could solve the calendar, but every nobody wants to let Alabama's head coach decide the calendar. So, he, I mean, I don't know how close Nick Saban is to retirement, but if he wants to step away and fix college football for all of us, I would welcome it because I think he has the ability to because he knows how – all of these things should be timed up properly. I think one of the challenging parts to what Kit brought up is there probably needs to be a completely separated transfer window, but with college semesters and enrollment and things like that, that's where it gets really, really tricky. And when I, I've, I've brought this conversation up with so many people and I've asked, what do you think the fix is? What do you think you can do? And I've never once gotten an answer that has been like, oh yeah, that's how you solve this entire mess. I mean, it really is, a mess and the timing doesn't work out. I mean, it sounds crazy. One of the ways to fix it might be moving the college football season up to earlier in the summer and having summer enrollment be the way that some of that solved. And that, again, I don't know the logistics of how that would all work, but that's maybe the best explanation that I've gotten of how you solve some of this. But again, it, it is a mess. And really, I think the people that are the head coaches at the Georgias and the Alabamas and the Ohio States of the world probably have a better understanding of how to fix it for everyone. But a lot of times when that's the case, some of the other programs will say, we don't want the people at the top getting to make all of the decisions for everyone. And I understand that, too. So, again, I, that's not that's a complete non-answer that I just gave, but it, it is it's a mess. Credit the Sacred Grove for having that idea in the chat over there. Start the season a few weeks earlier. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's a much more succinct answer than uh, the rambling that, that I gave. I think that that might actually work. You know, uh, it'll make for some, you know, we'll be talking about the temperatures at kickoffs a lot more. Um, but that's still, I mean, it still seems like that that might be the, the easiest fix for just the situation we're having right now where, uh, we're running around, you know, uh, with our heads chopped off, trying to figure out why this is so chaotic. Uh, I think just covering one or two of these things at a time, uh, we can handle uh, as writers. But all this at once, I, I can't imagine what it's actually like for the players, you know, uh, just like having to make three or four decisions at the same time. You know, uh, NIL deals, uh, you know, where am I going to play next year? Uh, oh, there's a bowl game. I got to be at bowl practice. Oh, also, there's, you know, finals. It's just, uh, it seems like, uh, you know, there's a lot more on their plate right now. And if we could take a little bit off of that, I think it would just make overall uh, the, the sport a little bit healthier. And, you know, overall, it, it would be just uh, less for us to uh, to really complain about as far as viewers. Well, and a lot of it, too, is like everyone looks at the players and their decisions to opt out. And I think 
not pointing fingers at any coaches, like especially Mike Norvell. I think his situation was so unique that it was natural that their program was going to be depressed the way that things went down for them. Uh, but I think that there's a level of coaching that comes into this too, where it's like building a culture, creating messaging that makes people feel like these, this, you know, this time of year, there is, you know, importance to it. And I think there's a coaching element to that. And I think when the calendar is as crazy as it is, it's human nature for coaches to not be as invested into some of the football game planning bowl season types of things, because I'm sure Kirby smart was answering phone calls every day about guys that might've been in the, entering the transfer portal, guys that weren't entering the transfer portal, guys that they needed, he needed to recruit during, you know, the high school signing day. There's just so too much going on this time of year for even the coaches from the top all the way down to position coaches to be invested the way that they need to be during this bowl season too. And then I think naturally that's just going to leak down to the players. And when, when it happens too much, there's going to be, you know, more opt-outs than people are comfortable with. I wanted to make sure and mention too, because I think Kip is right. What Secker Grove had said about moving the season up. Yeah, the heat would be an issue, but you know who does that every single year? It's high school football. I mean, they start, you know, basically a month before college. So I think when you look at what is probably the simplest solution, it's probably going to be moving the season up to kind of give the calendar a little bit of relief. Take a quick break, come back, talk about the guys who have declared for the 2024 NFL draft and some of the Bulldogs we are still waiting on. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Turning our attention to the NFL draft, as of 12.30 on Tuesday afternoon, nine Georgia players have officially declared. Running backs Kendall Milton and Dejan Edwards, wide receivers Lad McConkey and Marcus Rosemi Jack Saint, offensive tackle Marius Mims, defensive tackle Zion Logue, and defensive backs Tyke Smith, Kamari Laster, and Javon Bullard. Still a few more players we are waiting on to get announcements from. As far as those who are staying to date, Carson Beck is the only player who has said he will be coming back for 2024. And uh, we talked to defensive lineman Nazir Stackhouse in the post game. He said he hopes to have his decision one way or the other by Wednesday. Ben, I'll start with you just when we look at the guys who have declared. Does anything stick out to you? And when it comes to a few of the guys we're waiting on, um, is there one in particular or a couple uh, that you're really interested in seeing what they do? Nothing really sticks out to me. I think everybody that's made their move has made the right move for them at this point in time. I mean, I think there were probably the questions were probably around Javon Bullard and Lad McConkey. I think what those the film that those two have put out the last two years in, in Lad's case when he's been healthy, it, it's sort of it sort of was a no brainer for them to me. I know that it probably wasn't a no brainer, but I, I feel like they were league bound. You know. I, I guess I'm not really surprised by any of the, the people that have left up to this point. 
the ones that we're looking at, I mean, I guess Brock Bowers, is he officially declared yet? <laughs> so I guess, uh, I guess if we're just looking at how could Georgia possibly be the best in 2024, whether or not Brock Bowers comes back is the one that makes the most interest. But um, no, I get I, I, my guess is Georgia's probably just going to wait for him to be able to be the final one to kind of say, Hey, I'm off selling off into the sunset, have his moment. But of, of the other decisions that are, that are still out there. I mean, I guess I'm sort of blanking on who you guys would see as the most likely candidates that are still in decision-making mode other than Nazir, Nazir Stackhouse, which I think is really important just in terms of everything that Georgia's done to make sure that they're beefing up the defensive line through the portal, through high school recruiting, and then retaining some of the guys that they already have on the roster. I would think Nazir Stackhouse is probably the most important decision remaining. I would say besides Nazir, probably Warren Brent's another defensive lineman as well, and then Tate Ratledge. Uh, Xavier Truss hasn't announced. I'm imagining he will go pro, um, but those are the guys we're still kind of watching that I think realistically could wind up coming back to Georgia. Yeah, Warren Brinson's probably one that I'm intrigued by. I would have, I would think that he would be coming back just because he hasn't put out as much, you know, he hasn't gotten the reps that I feel like he is capable of getting. And I think next year would be a great opportunity for him to do that. I guess I, I saw, if I think I saw correctly, he went live on Instagram during the game. Um, which is one of those moves that I guess sort of makes me wonder, does he know Kirby can't discipline him anymore? Uh, but also, he's just hilarious. So I think it was just a hilarious move for him to do anyway. So that probably led more into it, just the comedy effect. Yeah, that was a fun like two and a half seconds that it was live because it all popped up on our phones in the press box. And we were like, and someone pulled it up. And then it was like, it was over as soon as it started. Uh, Kip, uh, what do you make of this group that is declared? And again, of those guys we're still waiting on, uh, does anyone sort of stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously another very talented group, and I think we're going to have probably uh, three first-round picks. Uh, again, obviously, Bowers, once he announces, should be a top-ten pick. Uh, Amarius Mims, um, I think, is another feather in Kirby Smart's cap for teams trying to recruit against Georgia. Uh, talking about, you know, just playing time, the fact that you have a guy that started less than 10 games that, still has a chance to go in the first round and you know on paper just the tools that he brings to the table he'll probably be a guy that goes late teens early 20s if he goes out there and shows out uh that's incredibly impressive i know georgia fans will probably look at it and go man you know wish we could have had him for more but still uh, i think it just goes to show that the kind of players that kirby smart's bringing in and um, with Kamari Lasser, I think he should probably go around the same range, you know, mid to late 20s. Lad McConkey and, and Javon Bullard, I think those guys are going to go in the 50s. They're going to be second-round picks. I think Javon Bullard's film is first-round film. You know, Combine's going to say a lot for him. Lad McConkey's going to have to obviously stay healthy throughout the evaluation process. Um, the guys coming back, Warren Brinson, Nazir Stackhouse, I think, a lot of people are, you know, going to talk about Georgia's defensive front, how this year, you know, it didn't live up to the billing of what they've done the last couple of years. But you got to remember that uh, development in college football isn't static. These aren't just going to automatically be the same guys. I look at a guy like Devontae Wyatt, you know, when he came back, the impact he had, um, you know, coming back and, and being very disruptive. I think that's definitely something that Warren Brinson can bring to the table. Um, you know, George is going to want some development from, you know, a guy like Jordan Hall. It's gonna, this offseason is going to be huge for him. You bring in an Xavier McLeod. You bring in Warren Brinson, Nazir Stackhouse. I think, you know, Nazir can still be that, um, you know, just uh, the nose tackle type player that helps out a lot. I think you kind of look back at um, Atkins, you know, uh, early on in, in Kirby Smart's career that he, he talked about him as, as being an underrated part of Georgia's defense and probably made that position more, um, you know, appealing to a guy like Jordan Davis. And I, I, I think that that can be the type of player that you can get from Stackhouse. And I, I think he knows he didn't have the season he wanted to have either. And I still think he's motivated. He's probably got, you know, I would guess an early fourth round grade right now. Uh, he can come back and he can definitely like get into that second round consideration. There's money uh, to be had for him. And uh, I think looking, looking at this roster uh, with, with lag going, I, I think you also have to look at the fact that Georgia was, was not complacent as far as the wide receiver room. 
You know, you add London Humphreys, a guy that has the the combo of size and explosive uh, athletic ability. You bring in Colby Young, you know, another big physical receiver at the outside. And you imagine that Georgia's going to return Rara Thomas and Dominic Lovett. And then what the guys we talked about earlier, Anthony Evans and, and Dylan Bell, that's that's a stacked wide receiver room. So as far as snaps, you know, you just obviously Lad's a guy you want to play as much, but Georgia already prepared for life after Lad McConkey. And I, I think you know, if you're a Georgia fan, you just you're just thankful for the time you have with him and the contributions he make as him and, and Brock Bowers. I mean, that's your that's your offense for the large part of uh you know that 2022 national championship season. So I, I think overall, uh Georgia's always built to withstand double digit departures. Or, you know, a lot of guys going in the draft, but you know, you look ahead to next year's roster, even with these guys leaving, and then also a guy like Tyke Smith, um, you know, who might not be an early draft pick, made a ton of plays. It's a reminder of just how uh outstanding the the play at the star position's been the last couple of years between Javon Bullard and Tyke Smith. That's the one position that you, you look to next year and you're just intrigued. Like who's going to to be the guy to step up and and, and make plays at that position next season? Um I, I'm interested just to see the combination that Kirby Smart will must champ uh they use in that secondary uh going into the G Day spring scrimmage. Uh, that's just that one position in Georgia's defense that I think is uh the most complex but also arguably the most important. You look at these guys that are leaving, to me, the two that stand out are the two that I thought it was conceivable they could come back for another year, Lab McConkey, Javon Bullard, just seeing what they do at the next level. I think people take for granted, you know, when you watch Lad, just his ability to get open and to get in space and be able to make plays. I think about uh, the touchdown he had, I think it was in the Florida game, where he just had total change of direction on a, a, a touchdown catch where he ran for the majority of the play. Um, I think that someone's going to draft him and whoever that team, whichever division they're in in the NFL, every Sunday they're going to be like, man, we got to figure out how to stop Lab McConkey. We cannot let this guy keep giving us issues. And then Javon, I'm just really fascinated to see where he lands and you know what position he plays in the secondary. I think he's a really, really talented uh, defensive back. He's made a ton of plays and a very physical hitter. Uh, we'll be really excited to see where he lands and uh, what he is able to do at the next level. Uh, guys, let's talk a little bit briefly about some of the portal news for Georgia uh, over the last week. C.J. Smith, wide receiver, entered the portal. I believe that was the day after the Orange Bowl. And something of a win for Georgia, cornerback Daniel Harris, who looked like he was poised to enter the portal, has not done so. And then ultimately, it's made it very clear on social media, he is staying put. I'll start with you, Kip. Uh, just thoughts on either of these decisions, C.J. Smith going in the portal, Daniel Harris standing pat and saying he's going to be at Georgia for another year. Yeah, with C.J., I mean, it's – I guess I already kind of mentioned it. That that wide receiver room, um, very competitive. You're going to be – it's going to be true iron sharpens iron in the spring as far as going out there and, and earning snaps. And I, I think you kind of saw that a little bit. Even in the you know the Orange Bowl, just the fact that you had Dylan Bell out there making plays, and then I mean we're still kind of waiting to see if he comes back. But Arian Smith got you know a little bit more run, uh, kind of reminded everyone, oh yeah, you know this guy is very talented whenever he's on the field. And, and so I kind of just looked at overall, and and it was a kind of a guy that we hadn't talked about as far as going to the transfer portal, but also just a uh, you know. That is the one position where you know a lot of a lot of guys they, they want to put up numbers, and we didn't really get to see really what CJ Smith's capable of. Um, but I think Georgia's just kind of in that you know we want to win now mode. We're trying to get guys that are ready to play twenty five snaps uh, on a regular basis. They want to have that two deep built out, and if Arian Smith returns. He, they kind of have it kind of locked in place. And with it, with Daniel Harris, and again, the Orange Bowl, uh, he got a lot of run out there. And I think everyone kind of learned he is really long. The the wingspan at cornerback, the size that he has, 
is, is not common. Um, and so I think that was kind of a uh, an advertisement of just what he can bring to the table. And you know what? If, if that was part of Kirby Smart's uh, recruiting to keep him on board, I mean, credit to Kirby Smart. Uh, he uh, kind of showed the, the rest of college football, you're, you don't get to have him. You know, I'm, I'm keeping this guy, and this is kind of the role that, that I envision him playing. Just like the wide receiver room, uh, they have they've 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 stacked that that cornerback position. Um, we're going to be talking about a, a guy that's going to be stepping into that position room this spring here in a couple minutes. But I, I think now you, you look, Dalen Everett had an outstanding uh, game in the Orange Bowl. Uh, you got a guy like you know uh, Humphrey out there as well, and Daniel Harris. You can you can roll with that with that group uh, of of guys coming back, uh, experienced group that kind of rotated into that position. So even with uh, um, you know, now and Green leaving, I think this is a group that you have to be really excited about, and especially just seeing Daniel Harris. That was that just made his decision to come back, I guess, much easier for Georgia fans to celebrate because maybe a lot of you know a lot of fans may not have known who he was exactly. But they know now, and so he'll be a guy that a lot of people are watching in the spring. Ben, what did you think uh, when it comes to C.J. Smith and Daniel Harris? C.J.'s move surprised me a little bit in that I wasn't necessarily expecting him to be someone that would hit the portal. He's I've been intrigued by his speed and how I thought Georgia would be able to deploy him. And honestly, if we're looking at sort of the duplicative element of him and Arian Smith, he's looked like a more natural pass catcher to me than Arian has, but Arian has a lot more experience, obviously, for this Georgia team, and if he's planning to be here next season, which is not a foregone conclusion at this point, but it feels like those two players are sort of related in terms of how Georgia is going to utilize them. It makes sense, and again, I've said this with every transfer. I can I can make sense out of basically every transfer that someone makes because there's a reason for all of these decisions that are being made. Um, with Daniel Harris, and I think I'll note too, I think Julian Humphrey sort of hinted at the fact like he's coming back and he's not going to be hitting the portal, even though he never officially hit the portal. I think that Georgia was having to fight that one off a good bit during this period of time too. So getting both of those guys back in the secondary is big, especially when you lose a guy like AJ Harris. Um, I know that there was a question and not to sidetrack this conversation too much, but there was a question about whether Georgia's looking at anybody for the late signing period too. And I think that if Georgia is looking at a position group, it probably is Terry Bussey, the five-star athlete out of Texas. He could play defensive back. And I think when you're looking at Georgia's numbers year over year, on, in the defensive back room, they're probably a little bit lighter going into 2024 than they have been in past years. That said, holding on to Daniel Harris and Julian Humphrey goes a long way because if both of those guys had left, then the number situation would start be starting to look a little bit dire in the defensive back room. So huge for them to secure those guys. And then, you know, I think I'll be interested to see where CJ Smith winds up because I think he can be really successful wherever he goes because not a lot of teams have weapons like CJ Smith. Georgia just happens to be one of them that has guys that are somewhat similar to him. Yeah, C.J. Smith battled injuries last year. You know, felt like that really kind of set him back. And he had his moments. remember him playing early in this season and having a, a few big plays. So we'll be interested to see where he lands. And with Daniel Harris, you know, we got to watch some practice this week. And, you know, I was kind of keeping my eye out on him because there were rumors, you know, he might be entering the portal. But, hey, he's still with the team. And you go out there and you look at him, and, I mean, he just stands out from the rest of the corners. I mean, he's just so big and just looks so thick. And um, I think that's going to be huge, given that, you know, there will be a battle to replace Kamari Laster. You know, I would imagine Julian Humphrey would be the favorite to win it, but I think Daniel Harris is going to give him all he can uh, in that competition. Well, let's go from current Bulldogs to future Bulldogs. Big week for several Georgia signees when it comes to the All-Star games that are going on. Five Bulldogs are set to participate in Wednesday's Under Armour All-American game down in Orlando. Seven Bulldogs are set to participate in Saturday's All-American Bowl that will be in San Antonio. Ben, you're going to be in San Antonio for some of the festivities, getting ready for that game. What can you tell us about the various Bulldogs that are in both these games and maybe what interests you the most and what we may see? Yeah, well, I'll start just sort of giving the rundown on the guys that will be at the game that's tomorrow. I believe that's on ESPN. I'll have to double check that after I go on this. But uh, 
the five players that'll be playing for Georgia in that Under Armour All-American Bowl down in Orlando, Ellis Robinson, Justin Williams, linebacker, Joseph Jonah, John Yeh, defensive lineman, Chris Cole, linebacker, and then Michael Uni, the big offensive tackle as well. I've heard, I've gotten really good reports out of how all of them have looked so far. I think a lot of times when you see a bunch of high school recruits together, you can kind of pick out who the Georgia players are. You can sort of say, oh, that guy looks like a Georgia guy. That guy looks like a Georgia guy. All of the guys that Georgia has down at the Under Armour All-America Bowl in Orlando right now definitely fit that. In San Antonio for the All-American Bowl that I'll be going to out there, five-star safety K.J. Bolden, Nitro Tuggle, wide receiver, running back Nate Frazier, defensive lineman Jordan Thomas and Justin Green, and then offensive lineman Nair Daniels and running back Chauncey Bowens as well. So seven Georgia guys, and that's actually a limited list. You know, we that's 12 of Georgia's signees that are playing in these All-American games. DeMello Jones ended up not playing in the Under Armour game. Chris Jones ended up not playing in the Under Armour game. Daniel Calhoun and Jaden Riddell ended up not playing in the All-America Bowl game out in San Antonio. So that's four more guys. So that could have been 16 of Georgia's 28 signees that were playing in these postseason bowl games. If that gives you any idea of what these, you know, bowl game um, evaluators think of, of the guys that are ended up in Georgia's class. I'm really excited to get out to San Antonio to see a couple of the guys that I have not gotten a chance to see up close yet. Nitro Tuggle, probably tops that list he's a receiver that i really just want to be able to see play how he matches up against some of the top dbs in the country and then nate frazier obviously the running back from california unfortunately i haven't gotten the expensive trip out to southern california yet since i've been here so i haven't gotten to see him as much as i would have liked but he's someone that really loves georgia you can tell he lives and breathes georgia and i think there was maybe some commentary about whether or not he was at flip risk throughout his recruitment. I really just don't think that was the case. I think he was someone that really believes in what Kirby Smart and Del McGee do with the running back position. I'll also note there is a 2025 combine out in San Antonio on Thursday and Friday. I haven't gotten the full roster, but if you, you know, if you subscribe to dogs 24 seven, I promise you, you're going to get a lot of updates on the upcoming class, how they look. It's going to be a good opportunity for us to see. All right. Who, is ranked pretty highly right now versus who maybe is actually putting the product out on the field that they need to. So it'll be my first look at a lot of these guys in the junior class. Kip, what do you think needs to, uh, are you, what you want to hear out of uh, this week? Uh, if there are any players that really um, interest you the most when it comes to the all-star games or just uh, what some of the buzz uh, you'll be looking for coming out of these guys and uh, getting to play some of the best of the best in their class. I mean, I gotta go with Sacred Grove over here. My whole my thoughts this whole time was just it's been the Ellis Robinson show so far at Under Armour practice. I mean, the 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 battles, the one on one battles between him and and five star Auburn signee Cam Coleman. Preview of what's to come. I mean, I think Cam Coleman is, you know, having seen him at the uh, the Under Armour camp in Atlanta, um, I thought he was the most talented wide receiver uh, in the twenty twenty four class. Um, but, uh, at the same time, um, just watching Ellis Robinson match up against him the first day, I think cam, uh, won a couple of the, you know, the one-on-ones, but Ellis had the, the interception of the day that day. And then the next day he has three picks. And I, I think it's, uh, a, a, those one-on-one setups are really made for, for wide receivers, it's, it's just rare that you see the performance that, that he had at the position, especially having, I think, back-to-back one-handed interceptions and against a guy, again, like Cameron Coleman, who I would have said was the most talented wide receiver at that camp, but then Ryan Williams was there um, even when he was 2025, 20, and it was just unbelievable watching him. Um, just those two guys going to Auburn, Alabama, and but then you know Georgia getting a guy like Ellis Robinson where I think – it's going to be really tough because he's coming in and the fan expectations are already off the charts um, just because of his ranking. Um, but I, I think you look back, I've seen guys like, you know, Keely Ringo come in, Tyson Campbell come in. I mean, even going back, uh, you know, guys like Brandon Smith back in the day, um, just five stars who've come to Georgia with a lot of expectations at the cornerback position. Um I can't really say anything that's going to, you know, temper those expectations because he just seems to, to, to look the part. And, you know, 
Malachi Starks lived up to the billing as a five-star DB. That's that's what you look for when you have a guy coming in and making that kind of impact at a difficult position that Georgia asks a lot uh, from. Um, it's it's going to be tough. We talk about the guys at cornerback coming back for Georgia. What role does Ellis Robinson carve out in year one? I, I mean, it's a great problem to have, especially when – we haven't even brought up, you know, KJ Bolden coming in as well in, in that class. I just think this secondary is is just uh, it, it appears to be set up to be lights out in the future. It was the story of the defense this year. I think as far as yards allowed, it, it may have been the lowest of Kirby Smart's tenure, if if not, it was close to the the lowest as far as passing yards allowed. And with you know, again, the the lack of. Uh, the pass rush getting home. It just makes what the, the DBs did this year even more impressive. I think Ellis Robinson's the kind of guy that can kind of continue that. It just seems like um, all the write-ups, all the videos uh, that you've seen from him this week, this show that he's living up to the billing and doing it against elite competition. And so I, I, I think there's really nothing you could say about him as far as, you know, knocks coming out on paper He's got the size, length, athleticism, the mindset to to be a lockdown corner for Georgia. Uh, if not for the next three years, if he doesn't get that job this year, then, you know, at least for the next two years. Before we get out of here, Georgia men's basketball minute. Georgia ends non-conference play with a 10-3 and record. They beat Alabama A&M on Saturday uh, just before the Orange Bowl got underway. Very successful run in November and December for Mike White and company. Had the losses to Oregon, Providence, um, you know, some of the tougher teams that they played, Miami as well. Um, but took care of business across the board. I think that was a very successful run. And they're going to have to try to carry some of that momentum over. They play again at Missouri on Saturday. That'll be their SEC uh, opener for 2023-24. And then they turn around and play Arkansas and Tennessee, two of the better teams in the conference. So they got their hands full, but I think that the uh, situation is looking pretty bright. Uh, they're just going to have to uh, probably take a few body blows early in conference play and uh, see what they can do rolling the ball forward. We're going to wrap it up right there. I appreciate everyone who tuned in and watched us live, everyone who has listened to this after the fact. Appreciate Kip and Ben for popping on and uh, talking with us. want to make sure and tell everyone if you are watching or listening to this on Tuesday, at Tuesday at midnight, our 60% off VIP sale comes to an end. Make sure you take advantage. Go sign up. Ben's going to be down in San Antonio uh, for that All-American Bowl, and we'll have all kinds of great content on these up-and-coming Bulldogs and also Intel on the 2025 class. Be sure to keep an eye out for more draft announcements, uh, more stories from us uh, as we go through the offseason and uh, continue uh, covering men's basketball as well. Also, go to Dogs 24 7 on YouTube for all these podcast episodes, the interviews that we've done over the course of the fall, and also my quiet press conferences and player interviews. So, for Kip Adams and Benjamin Wolf, I am Jordan Hill. Until next time, take care, everybody.